This is Science Friday. I'm Sophie Bushwick. And now it's time to check in on the state of science. This is KER St. Louis Public Radio News. Iowa Public Radio News. Local science stories of national significance. July is nearly through, and so is the piping plover's nesting season. It is make-or-break time for these small, endangered shorebirds, and I heard that sci-fi producer Shoshana Buxbaum is a piping plover superfan. Hi, Sophie. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I've been obsessed with them ever since I first learned about them six years ago. I know that it's pretty rare to see a piping plover flit across the beach, but just how many of them are left? So there are roughly 8,000 piping plovers in the entire world. And to put that in context, birders often get really excited to see a rare bird like a snowy owl. But there are about 28,000 snowy owls in the world, which is still not enough and not a lot. But that's over three times the number of piping plovers. Oh, wow. Why are there so few piping plovers? How do they become an endangered species? Yeah, so piping plovers like to nest along the water, out in the open, which makes their babies very vulnerable to, say, a predator just gobbling them up. But a really big factor here is, well, us. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. (laughs) We're taking up prime nesting real estate on the beach. Good news, though. There are people out there who are trying to protect the plovers. And you actually got to go see some plovers up close. Yep, that's right. Hands down, the highlight of my year. (laughs) Last week, I went to visit a protected area out on Fort Tilden. It's a New York City beach out in the Rockaways and some of the toughest terrain for these tiny birds. And I got to talk with the volunteers dedicated to keeping them safe. We're getting close. This will be my first my first piping clover IRL ever. Oh my gosh, you are in for a treat. I'm so excited. I've seen so many photos of I them. I get excited every single time I see them. Yeah, there's the adult and there's the chick. Right there. That chick's getting pretty big. That's a really nice sized chick. Oh. oh my god, it's so little. They just like scamper. It looks like they're almost floating above the sand. Yeah. They're going so fast. Watch the adult. It, it, it moves one of its feet in the front to get things to come up in the sand. And if you watch the little chick as well, it's watching its parent to do the same thing. And one of the things, too, is that they, they respond to certain calls, but just like human children, they don't always listen to their parents. If you've never seen one, piping plovers sort of look like a cotton ball plopped on top of two sticks, the little black ring around their necks. They're tiny and really easy to miss if you aren't looking for them. But luckily, I had an experience guide. I'm Chris Alieri. I'm the founder of NYC Plover Project. I grew up on the beaches of South Jersey on the southern tip of Long Beach Island in Holgate, New Jersey, which happens to be now the most important place for plovers in New Jersey. But I'd never seen them up close. And fast forward to the beginning of the pandemic, I was out here in March of 2020 and I saw a piping plover run by me, and then another, and then another. I saw like six or seven, and they were at close range. And then I saw dogs off leash. I saw kids up in the dunes. I saw no signage. And it was just like, what is going on? I mean, I'm like shaking my fist, and I'm like shaking in excitement and also anger. So Chris decided to channel that anger into action, and he founded the NYC Plover Project. By the next spring, he partnered with the National Park Service to set up closures all along the Rockaway Peninsula. They're staffed by a bevy of dedicated volunteers. 
And now in its second year, the nonprofit has roughly 75 volunteers and they've clocked about 2,000 hours so far this season. Our volunteer Leanne. Hi, nice to meet you. She's hey, stopping at our closure right now. What's the story right now? There was somebody in the uh, roped up area and we had one runner kind of like blow through and I was like, hey, this is a, there's an endangered bird over here. They were like outside of okay. the roped off area for a okay. while. So. <laughs> this is what happens when they do close the beach, the chicks and the birds like will immediately exit the closure because it's like not sufficient they're like no no no. we meant the whole beach the volunteers have a deceptively hard job they're the enforcers and if someone goes through the closed off area tries to bring in their dog which is a no-no they have to tell them politely to walk around to another path most people are respectful but this is new york after all and right now it's the very end of the breeding season and chris he's not taking any chances and it's like at this point in the season, it's, uh, we're not at a high tolerance mode. <laughs> we're, um, you know, you're going to get a talk, you know, you're going to get a chat. In the roughly 45 minutes I was standing by the closure at Fort Tilden Beach, Chris called the park police twice. One person who walked through the closure area, and then there was a group with a dog who had already been asked to leave, but tried to enter again. And I mean, some people might think that that's heavy handed, but here, listen, we had a chick stepped on on this beach right here two days ago. So we cannot be too careful. And the chick was sent to a rehab facility in Delaware, but unfortunately, the chick didn't make it. And these plover chicks are up against a lot. Their list of predators is, well, long. We're seeing ghost crabs, raccoons, feral cats, dogs. We had a drone incident where birds were attacking the drone and then everybody's chicks went everywhere. You know, when things like a drone or fireworks show up, all bets are off, right? Like it just creates a terror event. So why then do the plovers insist on coming back every year to such a precarious place to nest? Well, the sad truth is that from Delaware up to Maine, there's very few beaches without people. So with that, um, they are creatures of habit, and so they are going to keep coming back to these beaches for food sources. The piping plovers migrate up from Florida and South Carolina, some as far as the Caribbean. They arrive in March, but they don't start nesting until April or May. This year, there are 49 breeding pairs nesting on New York City beaches and just two fledglings. That is, chicks that have learned to fly, and hopefully the baby I saw on Fort Tilden Beach will be a fledgling number three. But Piping plovers born on beaches surrounded by people like these city birds tend to be smaller, have lower survival rates, and just take longer to be mature enough to fly. It's hard not to get discouraged. It's hard not to get sentimental. But like in this work, there is no time for that, right? And the plovers don't have time for that, right? So like the next day, I've seen this happen multiple times. They've lost one, two, three, four of their chicks or their nest was destroyed, and then the next day they're at it again, copulating and trying it again. And Chris takes his cue from the plovers. Just keep going, keep advocating for more and better closures, keep educating the public. These are large, complicated beaches, but it's not impossible. We have seen success of endangered species like, like the bald eagle, right? We can see bald eagles now in New York City. And the thing that really keeps Chris going, teaching that next generation. And when I can show young people, like, that's a parent, that's a chick, 
like really close by. I mean, that's like such a, a gift to be able to do that. I feel like I'm passing along something that someone was kind enough to pass to me. For Science Friday, I'm Shoshana Buxbaum. Thank you, Shoshana. There are actually three different regions in North America where piping plovers migrate each year. Some birds nest and lay eggs along the Atlantic coast. That includes the plovers we just heard about along New York City beaches. Others migrate up to the northern Great Plains. And last but not least, some piping plovers breed along the shorelines of the Great Lakes. Different habitats mean different challenges and different triumphs for these tiny birds. Joining me now is Michigan radio reporter Lester Graham to tell us more about his reporting on the piping plover population in the Great Lakes region. Lester, welcome to Science Friday. Hi there. Good alliteration there. Thank you. (laughs) So has it been a good year for the piping plovers in the Great Lakes region? It's been a good year simply because there were a lot of chicks this year. Uh, We had about an average number of nesting pairs, right around 71 nesting pairs across the area in four different states and Ontario and across all five Great Lakes. But most of them, like usual, are concentrated in Michigan. And how does this year's population compare to previous years? That population of nesting pairs is pretty close to what it's been for the last few years. It's kind of plateaued, but we've had some rough years because of high water on the Great Lakes. And as you know, they nest on the sand and in, in right next to the water, and uh, it doesn't take much for their nests to become inundated. Mm-hmm. You recently took a trip to the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore. What did you learn about piping plover nests there? Well, I was talking to a wildlife biologist there, Vince Cavallari, and He basically said they don't put a lot of effort into their nests. (laughs) Simply sitting on the sand and kicking their back feet out and making a little depression in the sand. And that's where the female will lay her eggs. They then typically line the the nest cup with shells or uh, small pebbles. And that's the entirety of the nest. We just heard about what the piping plovers are up against on New York City beaches, but what are the biggest threats to the piping plovers in the Great Lakes region? Yeah, mostly predators. I mean, we see a lot of raccoons and crows that are, you know, getting in and getting the uh, nest or uh, killing an adult. And and recently, in the last few years, we've seen a return of an endangered falcon, the, the merlin. And with that bird, they've been killing the adult piping plovers. So the wildlife officials have a lot of um, decisions to make. You know, do you kill the predator bird to save the piping plover? uh, Or do you find some other way, non-lethal way to deal with these predators uh, so that you have a population of piping plovers? It's, It's a tough decision for them. And after hanging out with the Great Lakes plovers, do you feel positive about the future of this population? I really do. Because of the number of chicks that were hatched in the wild this year, there were at least 231 chicks hatched in the wild. And then there were some other eggs that were saved by the biologist because a predator might have killed one of the adults. So there were an additional 11 chicks that hatched in the captive rearing center from abandoned eggs. So that's a big number. When you're talking about only 71 nesting pairs, and now you've got something like 242 chicks that have been introduced into the world, that's that's good news and, and by any means. Thanks, Lester, for sharing your reporting with us. Thank you. 
Lester Graham is a reporter for the Environment Report at Michigan Radio, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan.